0: What is going on, everybody? Hope you are all doing well out there. Got another podcast for you all today. Try to make this a quick one, but it might we might stretch out over that hour mark. So I try, I'll try not to dilly-dally too much because I have a few listener topics. And then I also have—I um, want to run down some of the NFL. I know I said I gave up the NFL. And I'll try not but, you know, a lot of these guys haven't been drafted in the NFL yet. They're 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 a DUI away or uh you know, they're they're a, a step away from not being in the NFL, so they're still technically college prospects. So I'll tell you everything I know about these quarterbacks, running backs, and wide receivers, because a lot of you guys are probably starting to see I think Leaf released a set and there's some sets popping up early like Sage um, you know, preseason NFL sets that are coming out with these guys. And you're probably, you're not familiar with who they are. Whereas I spent the last uh, four months of last year, basically in engulfed in college football. So I know quite a bit, a lot about these guys. I can't tell you who's going to be good because I don't know what situation they're going to be into once the NFL draft happens. I'll be able to maybe more accurately give you guys that I think, you know, kind of give you my buy, sell, hold recommendation. Obviously, the NFL lot can change rapidly. I don't know if anybody predicted that, um, you know, Carolina Panthers would be in the Super Bowl this last year. So things can change really quickly. But the thing about NFL prospects is if they do find themselves in a good position, especially at the wide receiver position. Um, it could mean some really nice opportunities to buy or sell or, you know, do a little bit of both. So I'll try to give you my best, um, estimates there. We've got Panini. I haven't seen this, uh, published really anywhere other outside of some Italian news outlets. There's nobody really talking about in the hobby. And I think a lot of people don't connect the dots, from Panini America back to its parent company back in – it was actually a holding company held outside of Italy. And I think that one of these attempts – there's an attempt by uh, for one of the current owners of Panini or one of the kind of the holders of Panini. I, I won't say there's necessarily owners of Panini. There's lots of owners of Panini. Obviously, with larger companies, there tends to be lots of hands in the pie. Well, about a 20% stake owner, which is fairly sizable, which is about what Michael Eisner owns of Tops, is exiting Panini, has been wanting to exit Panini for about two years now, two, three years now, and it appears they've devised a plan for him to exit the business. We'll see what happens. I'll let you know what ramific people might think oh that's that's panini the parent company guys if you know if you all watch sports and you all have your favorite teams and you've probably seen your all your favorite teams have a varying level of success and quite often i've seen my favorite teams have a varying level of success the lakers is probably one of the best examples of an organization when it's running from the top down From Jerry Buss, senior, rest in peace, my friend. When he was running the team, I think the team made the NBA finals like one out of every like three years or 2.8 years. They were in the finals every other year. From the top down, the organization was running crisply. Now his kids Well, you know, I don't know much about them, but do they have the skills of their father? Who knows? So far, doesn't look like it. The Lakers are still a great destination. They still can attract, while they might not attract the marquee free agents like they, they used to. That's not how they built their franchise anyways. So we'll see. Maybe the, maybe the Lakers turn, turn it around. All, all teams have kind of a, a, a stage where they don't necessarily do as well, and the Lakers certainly have as well in the, in the course of my lifetime. But my point is from the top-down organizations are run, from baseball teams to basketball teams, and certainly companies are run from the top down. So any change at the top of Panini is going to have a massive effect one way or another, maybe good, maybe bad on the the sports card industry because they have such a large presence uh, in the sports card business. So we'll definitely talk about that. The Industry Summit wrapped up. I did not see a whole lot of news from there, but I'll kind of give you some of my analysis about that. A listener question wanted to know about taxes and stuff like that. And I have to dance around the subject a little bit And I'll send the specific emailer who asked me this question a little bit more detailed response because after I I consulted a CPA who's a, a fan of the show, listener of the show. So I consulted him and I consulted one of my friends that works at the IRS. And I think the first thing they told me to do is not give tax advice on a podcast. And so... But what I will do, I think taxes is a great subject. It's not that we can't talk about it. You know, I don't really care. You know, they told me that and I was like, yeah, whatever. okay. but I do recognize that I probably shouldn't give tax advice to individual situations. I'll tell you why. It's not a cop out answer. I'll tell you the reason why myself can't give very specific advice. I'll tell you why in a little bit. But I'll tell you what you should be doing. I'll tell you what I did. I even do to this day. It's gotten a lot easier for me because I sell, buy and sell almost 100% on checkout my card. So my record keeping is all kind of done by them essentially. But I'll tell you what you need to be doing in prep or even if you're not making money, even if you're a student or, or, you know, a kid like I was starting out and you're not making, you know, you're not paying taxes, maybe still live at home um, all the way up into, you know, to where maybe you want this to be a career for you, or it's kind of already a side business. I'll give you some tips to help you with your taxes, because I, you know, I have a stack of 1099s here. I've got about eight of them, so I, I have uh, quite a bit of experience doing my own taxes and then also identifying ways to chop down my liability every year uh, a little bit. You know, you can't in my 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 just to give you this is some maybe not great tax advice, but you really should pay something. Don't look to uh, avoid taxes altogether. That's, that's a massive red flag. But everybody, you know, from the giant corporations to the average Joe living on your block is looking to cut their taxes. The IRS knows this, and it's no secret to, to anybody in the business, but you just need to have all your T's crossed and your I's dotted. We'll talk about that. So we'll talk about NFL, but we'll come back after that, and we'll talk about NFL prospects. Let's talk about the Panini deal. So let's start with the facts and then we'll start with a like conjecture or like my speculation, basically. So the facts are earlier, late last year in 2015, I started seeing rumblings of that Panini needed uh, uh, some new financing. It needed a new bank loan. It Also, it was still trying to... Um, one of the owners, one of the minority owners of a 20% stake was still trying to sell his stake in the company. And it's, it happens to be one of the guys that uh, people, especially in Italy, um, very much define Panini the, and the company kind of around this guy. He's kind of like the Michael Eisner. A lot of people think Michael Eisner owns top. Well, Michael Eisner owns a piece of a group that owns 25% of Tops. So Michael Eisner himself doesn't materially benefit. I mean, he materially benefits from Tops doing well, but it's not like he owns 80% of it or whatever. So very similar thing happening here with Panini, but we have a, a situation where, the company is essentially selling itself to a, a new group of insiders or kind of a consolidated group of insiders, which includes two ladies which plan on changing the parent company's name from Panini, S-P-A, to Dolly, SpA D O L L Y. The valuation... Put on Panini was seven hundred and fifty million. Not exactly sure if that was in euro or if that was in dollars. So obviously there's a a large difference or especially when you get in those kind of numbers, it would it would vary. But I know that the the company was essentially valued at about one X sales or actually even less than kind of one X sales. So Those are kind of the facts that a a founder of Panini Group back way back in 1999 is kind of when they're referring to Panini being founded essentially by the new ownership. And he wants to leave. He wants to sell his 20% stake. I I have lots of speculation to why somebody like that would want to sell his 20% stake. And I'll get to those in a minute. We know also that Panini, Panini has put out their financial statements, which is something a private company only does when they need money. Basically, when they need a buyer, they need money. Like, why would you like listening to this podcast? Why would you just go and put your tax returns out online? You know what I mean? Like, why would you do that? Nobody would do that unless you need votes like Donald Trump or somebody like that. Or a politician will put their taxes out because they need votes. And companies, both public and private, well, public, they have to put out their they're required to put out their financial statements. So you know a private company, the only reason why they would put their financial statements out there is if they need money. And whenever I read a private company's financial statements, I always take it with a lot of grain of salt because likely Those numbers either adjust a bunch of stuff out or they're not adjusting for a lot of stuff. So what we found was Panini, as a company, makes all their money making World Cup soccer stickers. They essentially break even every other year distributing comic books, making baseball and football cards and basketball cards here in America. making sticker books for for whatever sport, Panini breaks even. In World Cup years, Panini just netted net income, which means it's in the bank over and above all other expenses. Panini claimed they had a net income well in excess of $25 million in a World Cup year. Now, while I believe that for a fact, I believe that Panini made... $25 million making World Cup stickers, what I do believe is that is 100% tied to fraud. And here's the reason why. Not a lot of people realize this. I think maybe people are starting to realize it now. FIFA is a charity. You don't have to take my word for it. You can pause the podcast now and do a search. FIFA is a charity organization. Charity organizations don't typically allow sponsors of them to net twenty million dollars. Normally, unless it's complete fraud, normally the sponsors have to pay a significant price, usually in excess of profits they make, or you know, barely on a break even. I can totally get. Maybe Panini makes a million or two. Selling World Cup stickers, and it's a small portion of the business. I had guys on Twitter bring up, oh, look at Coca Cola, look at Adidas. Last time I checked, Coca Cola makes plenty of money in non World Cup years. In fact, the World Cup, if Coca Cola got kicked to the curb and Pepsi was brought in, Coca Cola wouldn't blink an eye that much. Okay, you can get Coca Cola faster than you can get clean water in a large portion of this country okay it's a fact the fact is panini 100 percent of panini's profits come from the world cup and that's a charity event the world cup benefits fifa which is a charity Just like sponsors of the NFL, just like NBC and ABC and ESPN who pay a lot of money to show the games, they're not necessarily making a lot of money on the Super Bowl. Like CBS had the Super Bowl, but if you noticed, every other ad was for a CBS show. I, I mean, I don't watch any of them, but... They, they ran ads to their shows the whole entire time. They could have sold all that inventory out, too. They could have sold it to all these different companies. But that's not why CBS buys the Super Bowl. It's to sell other stuff. Just like people sponsor the World Cup to sell other stuff, have other good years. Panini sponsors the World Cup, and that's their whole business model. So you know it's It's fraud. You know, it was it. You know, as FIFA, I, I'm not betting that it's going to get 100% cleaned up, but I guarantee you they're not going to allow uh, companies to make 20 million dollars net income by just sponsoring a charity. Trust me, the line would be out the door from Warren Buffett to Mark Cuban to myself if all you had to do in life was sponsor at a charity to make millions of dollars. Does it make any sense? Absolutely not. When it doesn't make any sense, you know there's shady stuff going on. So once all that gets cleaned up, maybe even a little bit, Panini is going to have to stand on its own two feet. So that draw that long winded kind of discussion there leads me to why I think the insider who owns 25 percent of Panini is has been frantically basically trying to leave the company for years now. Ever since kind of the FIFA stuff perked up, it seems like he's wanted to leave even more. I believe he sees the writing on the wall, and so he's trying to get out. That or he's just an old man, and he wants out. He doesn't want to leave his kids or his family, or he's trying to clean up his financial structure. That could be it, too. Maybe Pinini does have beautiful financials. Maybe the the FIFA deal isn't a fraud, and, and you can sponsor a charity, and that be your entire business model. Doesn't make any sense to me as someone that gets paid to actually analyze companies, it would be a massive red flag if I investigated a company and 100% of their net income for their entire business revolved around a charity event. It would certainly raise red flags. And so I think um, that's part of the reason why Panini hasn't found any outside new investors. They're really having to go to a bank and borrow Basically, Panini has to go to a bank hoping to have them lend them money to essentially buy themselves out because Panini needs money to then pay off the shareholder, the 20% shareholder, so he can leave with his money. And then Panini can have a little bit left over to run the rest of the business. So that's what this kind of all revolves around. I think it will have uh, massive implications here in America I think we're already seeing that. I think we are we saw a one point five percent price raise. We also saw Panini go to the industry summit without a lot of the bells and whistles and uh you know, ten deep of employees. I know is in Hawaii some of that might have already been planned, but I believe Panini's uh one of Panini's head honchos, as I've been reminded this week by multiple people was on record as stating, oh, the industry summit's this, this big event for us. We're going to reinvest it in it every year and year and year. And to me, it looked like Upper Deck was doing more for people at the industry summit and Tops was. Or at least they were all on par with each other. Whereas industry summits just in the last four or five years that I've been covering, and Panini's had quite a large presence there, maybe one of the largest. So I think you'll definitely see a pullback um, from Panini. From being kind of this go, 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 hyper growth, hyper trying to invest to maybe trying to squeeze some net income out of the American business, which is going to be very difficult. I think that that will lead to a lot of just Panini, the parent company of Panini trying to squeeze net income out of the American business is going to change things for hobby carts because Panini America hasn't been trying to make money since it got the NBA license in 2008. Let me repeat that Panini America has not tried to make money in America since it's gotten the license in 2008. At some point, and it might be now with a new ownership structure and an ownership change, kind of a reorganization is probably a better way to say it. With a reorganization, you better believe especially the reorganization is putting two ladies at the top one of which is was an accountant who has a, an accountant background you can call me sexist but i analyze obviously the the amount of companies i analyze the vast majority are run by men but the ones that are run by women i will say tend to be tend to often be run more from a balance sheet perspective. And in some cases, that's great. In some businesses, in some uh, business models, that's great. And it's paid off for me and paid off for other shareholders. In some cases, it's not good. I don't know what the case will be here. I'm just letting you know that Panini, for the last eight years, has just been trying to capture market share. It's just like Amazon. Amazon doesn't make any money, but all Amazon's trying to do is capture a bunch of market share. So then in three, four, five, ten 10 years, whenever they decide to, they, they or when they feel like they have everybody by their throat, basically, they're going to start raising prices. They're already doing it now. You already see Amazon raising price on Prime. You see them raising price on the minimum you know, minimum order for free shipping and et cetera, et cetera. But that, that's, that's their plan, and I think that's actually Panini's plan too. So Their plan was to come over here, get all the licenses. And by the way, they did pay people at the NFLPA. You guys wonder how they got these licenses. Tops and Upper Deck were just making basketball cards, and they were by far the, the industry leaders back in 2008. And then all of a sudden Panini got an exclusive to the NBA. You guys wonder how that happened. It's exactly how the FIFA deal went down. It's exactly how the FIFA deals go down. One of these lower-end guys. It's not the commissioner. It's not Commissioner Stern or Commissioner Silver or Commissioner Goodell. Those guys, as we know, make plenty of money. And they don't deal with these little licensee guys. It's not where the money is. The t- they probably deal with the TV executives. That's probably who a lot of their time is wrapped up around because that's where all the money is right now in the NFL. And in these leagues. But some of these lower guys that don't make $30 million a year. If they wake up one day and $10,000, $15,000, whatever it takes is, is all of a sudden in their account, then you wonder why Panini was able to get an exclusive basketball card deal without any product. They had no product. They had no distribution. They had no brand loyalty. And there were two competitors in the market already doing it much better than them. And the NBA went with Panini. Why do you think they did that? It's because Panini dimed out the guy that made the decision. The guy woke up with $50,000 or I don't know. I don't want to speculate how much it cost. But the guy woke up with Bunny in his bank account from Panini America or Panini SPA. Somebody from Panini gave those guys money and that's why he got the license. I'm told the same thing happened with football. I'm told the same thing happened with NHL, but those guys want to be able to sleep at night. And that's why they went with Upper Deck. It was kind of a big surprise why Upper Deck got, this, uh, got the exclusive license to the NHL when it looked like Panini, at the very least, would share it, if not get it all to themselves. But I'm told the guys from the NHL were uh, have a conscience maybe Actually, want to do above board business practices. That's why they sided with Upper Deck. Same thing happened with the college license. All this stuff. Will Panini keep doing that? I don't know, but I know that for sure they'll leverage that. They're going to leverage the price. They're going to leverage the fact that not many other people are going to want to make cards at this point. I mean, Topps is out of football. They were saying, I told you guys that on this, you can go back and listen to the podcast. Back last year around the National, I think Topps said, oh, we'll be in the, I remember their quote was, we'll be in the football business. We'll be in the football business. They're not going to be in the football business. They're out. They're done. No more Topps Chrome football. There's not going to be anything, nothing. And it wouldn't surprise me in a year or two, they they don't even make digital football cards. Because the market, I mean, we have a whole show on that the digital card market is just going to decline. If the card companies do the exact same thing they did with physical cards with digital cards, that market's going to decline just even faster. So to sum things up with the Panini buyout, Panini reorganization is probably a better way to put it. It's still in the works. My source has told me that it hinges on getting a bank loan. Panini needs a line of credit in excess of $170 million to not only finance this deal, but they also need it to finance the rest of their organization. If they don't get this bank loan, things at Panini, I'm, I'm told, are going to get tight because they don't make money in non-World Cup years. And they still have debt they need to service. They have over 300 employees worldwide, let alone here in America. And they don't make money on any of that business. There were conflicting reports on what they did with the profits, but I'm told they paid down bank debt with that. So that money's quote-unquote gone, depending on how you look at it. But it's not like Panini has a bunch of cash sitting around. So if things start getting tight, if they don't have a line of credit to front distribution deals, to front maybe payments for uh, royalties, for licenses, and et cetera, if they don't have this money to front, things can get really tight really quickly. So we'll see what happens. But what Panini is attempting to do here is has bankrupt every other company that has, has tried to do it before it. I have s- – uh, two people, two people that I respect in this industry say they would not be shocked if one day you just woke up and Panini was gone. Panini just wiped their hands and was gone out of the American business. Because if they're not trying, especially if this REOR goes through and they don't make any money out of it, because if Panini's not trying to attract any new investors, or if they they if the american business just kind of looks like this money suck then i'm told they could easily walk away from all that stuff it's it's not that's not out of the question i don't know how where that is i think anything's a possibility when you're talking about business and i don't know where on the scale of zero chance of happening to 100% chance of happening i don't know where that falls i would i would guess it's south of maybe 25% chance but it's definitely greater than 1 or even maybe even 5% chance I I would put it that Panini could just walk away from the American business just based on looking at the financials they have absolutely no reason to be in America right now doing business and it could be that What we don't know is, did the 20% owner that is exiting or trying to exit, is he the one that was trying to push the American business? Maybe he had a reason to get a business going in America. Maybe with the currency fluctuations and corporate tax rates in America, maybe Panini decides to go a different direction. We'll see. I know that they have uh, quite a large commitment to the NFL and to the NBA. And it's far in excess of what I think Panini is capable of generating. So we'll see what happens. I, I, I just mathematically and logically, what Panini's trying to do. Almost 100% of the time has, has resulted in a company going bankrupt. I'm not saying Panini, the giant parent company, goes bankrupt, but I could easily see the American arm being put in some kind of bankruptcy or dealt with in another fashion because it's not making any money. And I don't see I don't see the market for your for, for sports cards in this country changing anything of that nature, even with exclusive licenses and whatnot. So we'll see what happens. Moving right along into I got an emailer, a really nice email, talked about I think he thanked me for the Miles Turner tip who NBA basketball player I'm not familiar with his kind of hobby status at the moment I'm hoping he stays quiet and maybe a new crop of NBA rookies comes out and his stuff stays low and I can maybe accumulate I think in the NBA you can see guys develop a little bit later than normal and you also the sophomore slump is real I mean you look at like uh, Andrew Wiggins who I thought was going to have a really good year he's you know I think he's he's found the herbal medication I think he's he's I don't think he partook in that and I think he's partaking in that now that he's in the NBA so I think that has an effect on his game that's speculation on my part but uh, <laughs> that's just what I see so lots of stuff can happen but the overarching of uh, overarching question that the the emailer ultimately got to was taxes and brought up some good points of whether you know you're buying boxes and you're trying to sell those or if you're a group breaker and you're trying to keep track of your expenses and your cost on each item in each spot and and buying and selling single cards maybe you buy and sell at a show so there's all this buying and selling and obviously if you're buying and selling maybe into the tens of thousands of transactions it could become a mess for you financially quite honestly and so i think the most important thing to do is always keep record keeping at the forefront of your mind so if you're going to get in a process of buying and selling cards and it becomes difficult to record keep you might want to think about a different way to buy and sell cards quite honestly because you really do need to keep really good records. I will say um, had my friend who is also a CPA forward me a thread, which I'll try to remember to post in the show notes, where you can get a little bit more granular detail on tax situations involving different situations. I will say every situation is different. Every uh, and I'm not talking about just you as an individual. Every buy and sell decision is a different tax decision. You might have bought a card and it might have been in your collection for a while and then you decide to sell it. Maybe you bought a card strictly for the the resale value. Maybe you bought a box of cards. Maybe you bought a case of cards, bought, you know, opened some of it, kept it, sold some of it. All these different scenarios occur all the time in cards and they all can realistically be taxed or be accounted for in different ways. And so for me to have a podcast, you'd almost have to have a whole series of podcasts to really want to dissect each each situation. And I'm certainly not. Educated myself enough in in tax laws and specifics of taxes, nor do I really want to be because I think at some point the tax structure gets cleaned up i, I don 't I mean that might be a dream of mine, but I think at some point, just like I think universal health care was kind of one of those things that people said, Oh yeah, it, was, it made sense, but it would never happen and then once it happened, everybody complains about it. but I think the same thing will happen to taxes everybody's like, oh, it will never get cleaned up. Maybe not in my lifetime i don't know. I think it will I think at some point a flat some somebody will put in a flat tax, which we could have a whole discussion on. Somebody might put in just a real much more simpler structure where it's kind of like a tiered flat tax. Someone might do away with taxes altogether, might figure out another way to to support government. I don't know, but um. <laughs> So that's why I don't really want to figure it out. But what I do know, if you get anything out of this tax discussion, is that you need to keep very good records of it. Not necessarily because you might get audited, but certainly just in case, it would be nice. It certainly would be nice to not have to go through and backtrack. But also think about if, say you did scale this up into a nice business, maybe you'd like to sell, maybe you'd be be like Panini or tops, or some of these other companies out there that would like to maybe sell a piece of it. Maybe you have an investor approach you and say, hey, you got a good, maybe it's like a family member or a friend or another collector says, hey, I want to get in on your business. Well, you do want to put a valuation on your business. And the way you do that is by having clear records and then being able to extrapolate, okay, I I made, you know, I had 57000 in sales and I netted $18,000. So you'd be able to then say, you know, I'd argue your business is probably worth about 100% of it's probably worth about, you know, $10,000, maybe, you know, slightly less than what Panini probably is getting 1x sales, you're probably getting 0.75, maybe 0.5 of sales. So there's lots of reasons outside of, you know, getting audited and then even paying your taxes to have really good records. What it all what I think it does most effectively is it helps you analyze your business. You're able to at some point maybe go through all your costs and all maybe your sales and you might be able to identify you're making all this profit on all these sales and maybe you have all these other sales where you're barely making anything. Well, a smart business person might say, well, maybe I don't need all these ones that are taking up all my time and I'm not making money on. I really just want to focus on these high margin sales. So having good records allows you to identify the sales and the process which allows you to make the most money and allows you to maybe figure out ways to scale that or do it more often so you ultimately make more money. So to kind of long-winded answer about how you handle taxes is number one, each situation is different. And again, I'm not just talking about you as an individual. That is obviously different. How much income you make on the side? Is this a full-time business? Do you do you pay taxes anyways? But it's also an issue of when you buy a card is what was the intention the way I read it there was a lot has to go into the intent so if I bought a Russell Wilson card with the intent to immediately flip it the minute the season started or the minute he got re-signed or the minute he whatever made it back to the Super Bowl then that would get taxed in a certain manner if I bought this Russell Wilson card because I fell in love with them and then all of a sudden he got traded and I hated him and he got traded to the Niners or he decided to leave and he went to the 49ers. And all of a sudden I hated Russell Wilson and I decided to sell it. That would get taxed at, at you could theoretically tax that at a different rate, in a different manner. And it goes down and down the line. So you can see how complicated it could get, especially if you had 8,000 transactions and you were group breaking and you were ripping, and flipping, and you were you know, doing pack wars and you were doing all this stuff with carts could get really complicated. And if you were selling on eBay and Facebook and and Google and and your own store and and online and offline, it could get really complicated. So I urge you to figure out a way. Nobody's record keeping is perfect. Trust me. Apple reports X amount of billions of dollars and X amount of millions and units, but nobody is 1000% sure. When you start scaling up, obviously in Apple's case in, into the stratosphere, but even as you, as an individual seller, you could easily sell 15,000 10, 10, 15, items a month easily. Maybe even a week if you're a big, big, big. I don't know about sports cards, but maybe you could sell a lot of other items too. Could get very complicated tax-wise, so I, I encourage you to try to figure out a method. And a, and a way to account for it all before it scales up too big. And always have that in your mind because that's normally the best way to record keep is record keep in a manner that would be just as efficient and would be the most efficient way is if you were doing 10,000 times what you are doing. So I encourage you to to think about things like that. If you have any specific questions to Record keeping and the process in which doing that, you can certainly, I can certainly help you more. And I think this emailer even asked for maybe some Excel sheets and things like that. And that's something I might um, try to develop and try to work on if if the, the if the demand and desire for those kind of things is there. The other thing I'll tell you to do is once you become a profitable business and once you have to pay taxes, you definitely want to look for ways to reinvest in your business outside. of You know, you're going to have to pay taxes, but what I like to do is try to reduce that amount a little bit by reinvesting in my business. The way I do it is I usually buy. What I like is marketing and advertising because sometimes the return on that is not immediate. And it's sometimes over a long period of time, especially if you acquire somebody's email address or acquire like customer data to then market against for maybe a whole year for certain events throughout a whole year. So I kind of like to do some marketing to spend, especially towards the tail end of the year. So you can kind of realize Maybe get a bunch of customer data right in December and then write that off on your taxes for that last year and then you can use that data all the following year and just generate a bunch of income hopefully. And then, um, you know, find your next tax write-off after there. But there's all kinds of ways to write off. You know, you can definitely get involved in charities and things like that. Hopefully not fraudulent ones that allow the sponsoring companies of their, their premier event to net $20 million. But, um, you know, you can put money into your 401K and your, and your or your IRA, excuse me. You can put money into um, lots of different... There's college funds. There's all kinds of like tax write offs there. There's other things with the car. I have this app. This is a kind of an unaffiliated uh, plug, but Mile IQ. So M I L E I Q tracks your drives. If you're not somebody that cares about privacy, um, it tracks your drives and then you're able to categorize them as either personal or charity or for medical purposes or for business. And so. Um, You know, I bought a Mercedes And so I was like, well, I might as well Try to get some of this money back because I definitely do I I drive to a charity thing twice a week I drive you know I drive to doctor bills and and stuff like that so I do that and sometimes it's in in San Francisco or other places that are kind of far away I also do business trips where I'll go to Sacramento or I'll meet people or I'll go to an event or something like that and now every mile I drive I'm, and with gas where it is it actually makes probably more sense to actually drive anywhere I can drive. It actually makes more sense to drive for my business than to maybe even set it up in an office because the write-off on the driving miles might might exceed uh, any other kind of expense. So if you're doing a lot of driving, things like that, um, between even especially card shows and, and events like that, it's something you might want to um, think about. Moving right along into NFL prospects. I'm going to try to go through this as as quickly as possible. I could talk about this for a while, but so we'll try to speed through this a little bit. I think we can at some of these positions. I'm not particularly impressed with quarterback I mean I could come back and and people could do sound clips of this and I could really sound bad if some of these guys will come on really strong but I think for a lot of you there's a lot of people in this hobby especially foot not necessarily in this hobby but there's a lot of people in new football card collecting that are buying and kind of flipping very quickly for whatever reason. I mean, football is kind of one of those sports where it's, it's kind of week to week and, and it's, it's kind of that hit or miss, boom or bust kind of sport. And so the collectors, I, I think of football, I don't even want to know if I can call them collectors, but a lot of people I see group breaking aren't necessarily trying to acquire these cards. They're trying to acquire them to put them on eBay. Or, you know maybe acquire them at a, at a and then time the right time to sell them I don't know if I, I'm accurately analyzing the football card market but that's just what I've witnessed uh normally with football product though the quarterbacks kind of drive the ship you know they're kind of the one in the driver's seat that's not necessarily gonna be the case I think this year I think we have some running backs And some wide receivers, I believe, will probably emerge to be very viable hobby, you know, candidates to be guys that will be collected and sold and bought and sold. I think the quarterback will be a position you can kind of wait and see on. I don't know if you want to run out and acquire these guys. Obviously, all that can change uh, very quickly, depending on what environment and what situation these guys get drafted into. But I wouldn't be confident in it. I wouldn't be confident of any of these, even if like they got drafted by Denver or you know, some of these teams that are good that maybe need a quarterback. I still don't know if I'd be super confident in any of these guys. Maybe they develop, but uh, I think you've got some projects on your hand. Carson Wentz went to North Dakota State. Can't say that I witnessed many North Dakota State games. I saw a lot of football, a lot of college football, a lot of odd schools, but I can't – I just don't – Carson Wentz must not have been on the Daily Fantasy radar Uh, much of the season because I can't uh, say that I have a lot of exposure to him. I think you want to go on him. I mean, he's 6'5", and he's 232, so he's a big guy and uh, has a nice arm. So we'll see uh, what situation he gets into. He certainly is somebody that couldn't develop. I don't think going to North Dakota State, there's not going to be a lot of people familiar with this guy. So a lot of this guy's demand is just going to be kind of created just by the fact that teams are rating him high and and boards are rating him high. Jared Goff, on the other hand, is likely is either the one or two rated quarterback, depending on where you look. And he went to Cal. He played, I believe, all three years. There was a time at last year in 2014 where he was taken out of games during series and during certain goal line situations. So he wasn't – I mean, he was a great quarterback, was high volume. Part of that was just the coach's own stupidity, but um, did a lot with a little. However, the one thing you want to keep in mind about Jared Goff and, and looking at his stats is Cal's defense sucked, basically. They were a little bit better in 2015, but they also play, you know, USC and Oregon and and the big Pac-12 teams. So his stats, while they look impressive, um, keep in mind it's all out of the shotgun. It's all in a comeback, you know, kind of mode and kind of throw, 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 throw kind of mode. So he'll have to show that... You know, he's able to, you know, develop kind of like the last quarter, Cal quarterback that's really good is Aaron Rodgers. So he'll have to show, and I think the same questions were there about Aaron Rodgers. So he'll have to show, I'm sure he's had some mentorship and things like that. He looks good. His arm looks good. I think Goff can stand in there. He's listed at 6'4, 210. He's, so he's kind of looks tall and thin in the pocket, but he does, I will say he does stand in there and he is able to throw. He did have a like a plethora of targets to throw to. I can't say any of them were necessarily high end elite targets, but it wasn't like he was the only good offensive player Cal had. So Goff, depending on what situation he goes into could be a good quarterback. I think you can wait depending on where he goes. I I mean, it's just like Mariota and Winston. I was pretty high on Winston just based on his leadership ability, but You know, you and Mariota was a little lower on, but I I was surprised on how I don't think he really played exceptionally well, but he played about as well as I thought he could. Now, both obviously have to take leaps and bounds and steps, but we saw their cards, while valuable and desirable, never really got that like exponential shoot up like kind of like Andrew Luck and Robert Griffin kind of saw in their rookie years. I you know, I just don't see that with golf at the moment. Paxton Lynch, another guy. I don't, I don't know. He's six, six, another guy that his defense sucked. And so he was in throw mode a lot. They had some good players. I believe their run game was questionable in Memphis. It wasn't like great, and so he was relied upon quite a bit. So his stats look really good. We'll see. I think for me for Paxton Lynch, I want to see what situation he goes into. I want to see what his developmental process looks like. The rest of these guys are are very I would say projects for sure. Connor Cook. Connor Cook's interesting Um, he had one good wide receiver. They had a decent run game, but they were often playing in cold weather. His, his job wasn't necessarily to throw the ball down the field, but at times he did that Connor cook could be a very, I could see Connor cook very much like Andy Dalton becoming a very solid player. If he's with the right players, you know, Andy Dalton's only good in my opinion, because he has a J green. So, you know, a J green made, uh, AJ McCarron look good. So I think Connor Cook in the right situation could be a solid player. Dak Prescott is kind of the the wild card here. He could be the next Cam Newton or could be the next, you know, not necessarily Johnny Manziel. You know, maybe Tim Tebow might be better. You know, somebody that comes into the league with a decent amount of notoriety, but then doesn't pan out. Um, I don't know if there'll be a lot of middle ground with Prescott. I think he's either going to be really good in the NFL, or he's going to be out of the NFL rather quickly. He's listed at 6'2", 226, but I swear he looks a lot bigger than that and plays a lot bigger than that in um, in a jersey for whatever reason. Prescott needs to work on it. He's kind of like maybe he probably has kind of is graded on a similar range as like Colin Kaepernick, not quite as explosive athletically and not nearly as good as arm. I think Colin. I'd much rather have Colin Kaepernick than Dak Prescott right now, um, even right now. But Prescott's a guy that just athletically and leadership-wise, I think he's a guy that could make an impact in the NFL. Don't necessarily have to go out and run out and buy his cards. Okay, last QB I'll cover in depth here is Christian Hackenberg. He went to Penn State. This is the enigma of the quarterback position. He's got – it's it's basically like this is like Jay Cutler's son. Uh, imagine if Jay Cutler had a son. It would be Christian Hackenberg. He's 6'4", 234. He's everything you want in an NFL quarterback, but – at times, he just—I don't know. I know that Penn State had a lot of sanctions, and there was some—you know—there a bunch of stuff going on at Penn State. But um, Hackenberg flashes of brilliance, and by that I mean a few plays here and there, not necessarily games. So we'll see. He's rated high. He's always everybody's always talked about him, but he's never delivered it. So we'll see if he actually wakes up and does does that in the NFL. There are several other quarterbacks. Oh, last one I want to mention because nobody's going to talk about this guy, and I'm actually going to buy a couple of his cards if he doesn't. You know, if he gets drafted by Green Bay or San Francisco or a team that needs a quarterback, Jacoby Brissett is a guy who went to NC State, he's listed at 6'3", 231, he was a top recruit to Florida, and he had to transfer for whatever reason, I don't exactly know why, but went to NC State, they weren't that good, didn't have a lot of talent around him. this guy reminds me of like an old Donovan McNabb, when I watched him, I was like, wow. it was like watching a 33-year-old Donovan McNabb, who who for a lot of you might not remember seeing Don McNabb play. He was athletic when he was younger, but as he got older, he lost that athleticism, but he still could move around in the pocket fairly effectively. And I see that with Brissett. He's not fairly swift on his feet. He was not going to blow anybody away at the combine or anything like that. But... He can move around in the pocket. He has that pocket awareness that I really think you need in the NFL. So Brissett is going to be a mid to late round guy. But depending on where he goes and if he has cards, I hope he has cards because he's a guy that is going to be low priced. So, you know, a dollar, you know, you might be able to get his cards for under $5, maybe an autograph card for 5 or $6. And could at one point be be a twenty dollar card at some, at some point because he he's a good player I think. Last no that's it for quarterbacks. We're going to move on to running backs quickly. We're going to do a time check. Okay, so quickly we'll run through running backs. Even though this is where uh, this is where all your money is going to be made, I think this year Ezekiel Elliott is the best-looking running back prospect I've seen in a long time. He was by far the most consistent running back, I think, last year and played against tough teams, tough games. Ohio State's passing was not good last year. They're, they ran through three different quarterbacks, I think, two or three different quarterbacks, and none of them really had that much success. And so, But Elliott was like the guy. He basically kept Ohio State in the championship chase pretty much the whole year. Uh, Obviously, their defense is really good, too, and their offensive line is great, but Elliott healthy, I think. I'm going to make a call here. I think Elliott is one of those guys that could dominate the running back position for two or three seasons in the NFL. We always see it in the NFL. A guy dominates for a year or two, and then he goes away. Larry Johnson, Chris Johnson, you know, there's just a long list of players that dominate for two or three years. Very few Emmett Smiths. To, to predict any of these guys are going to be Emmett Smith or Barry Sanders or anybody like that that has a 10-year, solid 10-year career is ridiculous. But I think Elliott's a guy that could dominate for two or three years. He has that ability. Derrick Henry, Heisman Trophy winner, 6'2", 247, runs upright and tall. I think he's going to have to adjust in the NFL. Not necessarily known for his pass catching, although he's known as a great passing block, obviously being six two two to forty seven, there's some linebackers that probably don't want to go heads up with him. So He's a guy, I, like I said, I think he's going to have to play lower. There's a couple other running backs that I think had to do that this year, and then I think Melvin Gordon needs to, needed to adjust to that. And, the, and actually both the running backs this year that were drafted this year need to adjust that and play lower. I think Elliot's already there. I think Elliot already plays. I mean, he's only 5'11". He plays already kind of tight and compact. So I like his build a little more than Henry's. But Henry has the potential to be just one of those solid professional football players. I don't necessarily see Henry maybe dominating the running back position in the NFL, but he could have longevity. If obviously, all these guys need to stay healthy. But Henry's the type of guy that could have longevity because he's sitting there back there protecting the passer. So that's what I see about Henry. His teammate—I'm going to scroll down here to a bottom— Kenyon Drake is a lower he's definitely going to be less expensive but he could be a guy that he didn't get banged up a ton in in Alabama and obviously you know going getting recruited and playing for Alabama is is a big big deal and he he easily could have been the, the starter if if you know something happened if he needed to be He's six foot two t- ten. I actually like his build a little bit better than Henry, um, but we'll see. But Drake's a guy, uh, he's going to have Alabama fans collecting his cards, but he's a guy you want to keep kind of keep an eye on. Devontae Booker out of Utah, this guy got the ball all the time. I mean, they just like gave this guy the ball. He was like a massive percentage of the offense, five ten two nineteen. 2'19". So I think he's going to be able to come in and help a team right away. It's just a matter on does he take that Giovanni Bernard role where he's kind of that complementary back, or is he able to step it up and be that guy? I think it really depends on where he goes. If Devontae Booker goes to New England, if Devontae Booker goes to – I'm not that good at NFL, analyzing the NFL right now. But kind of those dink and dunk teams, I could see Devontae Booker being very successful. If it's kind of like run through the A-gap kind of team, I, I still think Booker would be good. But I think in the NFL, I think his body type and his skill set would be really nice for like those dink and dunk teams kind of like the New England Patriots kind of a style offense so we'll see where he ends up but I like him Kenneth Dixon at a Louisiana Tech is definitely a guy you want to uh, monitor to where he goes and if he's cheap I I don't mind uh, like a small prospecting attempt at, at Dixon he's not a guy a lot of people are gonna know but had a lot of success, it's obviously going to depend. For me, I'm not going to really pay attention to the combine, or I didn't pay attention to the combine for all these guys. For me, it's really going to depend on where they go. CJ ProSize, this is a guy Notre Dame, uh, for me right now, I don't know his card values, but I know the card demand is going to be high out of Notre Dame. If you're a a flipper and you're one of those guys that don't really look back and, and maybe have a little regret, ProSize is a guy I think if you want to return some money right away, I think you can get it out of him. The only reason why I say that is he only had like two-thirds of a good year in college football. He he had a thousand yards rushing this year on six point six yards of carry. That's no joke against you know Notre Dame. Notre Dame plays good teams. And he had 11 touchdowns. He was hampered by injuries. The year before, he was really just kind of a special teams guy, and he was a receiver. So he's a guy I'm not sure where he's going to fit in the NFL. He's certainly a high upside guy. But I think depending on where he goes, if he goes to a high-profile team and then being from Notre Dame, I think a lot of people are going to pay money for his cards. But a guy like CJ Prosize Doesn't have a lot of experience playing in college. I just don't necessarily see him coming to the NFL and all of a sudden blowing up. Um, He certainly could do that in year two or year three, but his cards are going to go down in in the process of that. So that's what I'm saying. You could believe in CJ Procise, but I think there might be a better time to buy. So um, accumulating early on might not be a good idea. Alex Collins from Arkansas. I put him in a mold of if he's cheap, he's a guy you can take a look at. Paul Perkins was inconsistent a little bit. He's 5'10", only 208. I know I know what it's like to walk around almost at that weight, and um, I, I'm not feeling Paul Perkins for whatever reason. We'll see what's – for me, it's situational for Paul Perkins – CJ Foster down here at Arizona State, he's a mid-round pick. He was another one of those guys that was he was like a receiver and a running back. His role got cut into this year because Arizona State had another guy that's actually really good that will probably be a top maybe one or two-round pick if he stays healthy next year. Uh, Foster's a project but could be an interesting guy. Jordan Howard, very similar to C.J. Prosize had like a good year. And he, you know, he was behind Tevin Coleman for one season, so he, you know, his stats were cut into. But he had a good year this year, and we'll see. He's five eleven, two thirty, so he's he's a big, a big kind of short back. There's several other guys on here. Boy, there's a lot of running backs you could really take speculative shots on. I think Tyler Irvin is a guy. He was like a thirty carry guy. Um, and so he definitely could take the, take the, like the bulk of like a team's carries if he had to, I think Wendell Smallwood, and he's definitely a small shifty guy, but he's a guy that has explosive talent. Um, boy, there, there really is. I could go on and on and on and on and on here. There's a decent amount of running backs that I think I'll save comment on to see where they go. We'll see what situation they go to. And then I'll be able to like expand a little further lastly we'll do a time check here okay lastly i'll try to make this in about five minutes ten minutes is we'll go over the wide receivers number one for me is laquan treadwell i'm actually on getting i'm running down my data here on walter football and the funny thing is is i had i was looking at his website a couple days ago and he had michael thomas number 1 from Ohio State so you must have there must be some combine adjustment here because before the combine I'll be honest 100% honest with you Michael Thomas was the number 1 guy on Walter football and I totally disagreed with that because Michael Thomas at Ohio State while he might end up being a good player had plenty of opportunity to to consistently deliver at Ohio State against bad teams Ohio State played some cupcake teams and almost lost to some of them so and it wasn't like they weren't trying to throw the ball and Michael Thomas just wasn't anywhere to be found. You know what I mean? I mean the backup quarterback Braxton Miller was looking better than Michael Thomas. So Michael Thomas is a guy I would sell I would sell high, not that he's not going to be a good player, but I just didn't see it in college. I didn't see any of the consistency. I didn't see any of the huge games out of him for whatever reason. I mean, he's six two two twelve, so he could develop, but he just wasn't there for me in college. So the guy that was is Laquan Treadwell. He's a guy that for me could step up in big games. He stepped up after he got hurt this is a guy, Laquan Treadwell. If he goes to a good team and people aren't paying good money for his cards, I could see coming in and being the best wide receiver of the rookie class. Will Fuller out of Notre Dame, little undersized, six foot one eighty six. Whoo, that's light, um, but is a good player uh, again from Notre Dame. So similar to CJ Pro size, um, i I I don't know. I honestly don't know how well Will Fuller will um, will project to the NFL, So, but I will say he's going to have a lot of attention on him if he gets drafted by a New England or a Green Bay or a New York Giants. I think he could be a sell-high candidate because... These 6-foot, 186-wide receivers don't typically jump out on the board and and light the hobby on fire. Michael Thomas, I've already expressed how I feel about him. I think if people are paying decent money for him, I think if people are paying more than Laquan Treadwell, I think if people are paying more for Michael Thomas than Laquan Treadwell, I'm selling Thomas to either – you know, to buy more product or to buy whatever you want. But if you want to look at it as a stock trade, I would sell Thomas to buy Treadwell. Braxton Miller's a complete wild card. He's another guy I probably would sell because these project guys typically don't work out in the NFL. Um, you know, I th- can think of maybe a few that has worked out okay for the Steelers. But these like hybrid, don't know where they play kind of guys don't normally do they're usually a little overhyped early in their career and then they kind of fizzle out or just kind of develop into a really minor role on the team so miller is a guy i would sell but athletically he athletically he's there josh doxton here's a guy that i would be buying too if he's cheap six two two oh two Played in like one of those up tempo offenses, but he was a guy that delivered. He had seventy nine catches for thirteen one thousand three hundred twenty seven yards. So it's like, you know, he delivered. So for me, Josh Jackson, while I'm athletically and grade wise are lowering, there he's below Michael Thomas. He had more catches and more yards than Thomas sniffed in like two seasons. So and the year before, Daxton was productive. He had sixty-five for a thousand yards and eleven touchdowns. So this is a guy that delivered for me in college. So I just see him if he if he keeps his head on straight could deliver in the NFL. Corey Coleman, as with all Baylor wide receivers, he's five ten, one ninety-four. He he caught seventy-four passes for thirteen sixty-three for twenty touchdowns. I saw games in Baylor where the score was like 20 to 16 after three minutes or four minutes in the game. So you almost have to take off 500, 600 yards off Coleman's numbers. And that's like his college numbers and then his NFL numbers. For me, I think, it, depending on what situation he goes into, he's a four, 500, 600 yard type guy. Uh, um, you know, he's like a Brandon Cooks type guy who normally, unless he gets paired with a Drew Brees, is gonna struggle. That's just my opinion. There, Tyler Boyd. This is a guy you can step out on. I think two six two one ninety. He's an excellent player, excellent wide receiver. Ninety one receptions for nine hundred yards. So you can tell he was just Tyler Boyd was like a hundred. He also had forty carries, so he had over a hundred and thirty touches. When I would play daily fantasy. Tyler Boyd was the guy. So fantasy-wise, he, he was great. And Pittsburgh had a crappy quarterback. If put this guy uh, with one of the elite college quarterbacks, put him in Cal, put him at a, an elite a team, and he would have had 1,300. He put him in Baylor, and this guy would have had 1,500 yards. He would have had Corey Coleman numbers maybe times another you know, 40%, 30%. Tyler Boyd's an excellent excellent player. I don't know how he'll grade out to the NFL, but this is a solid player that I would look to accumulate if people are just dumping him off for nothing. Pharaoh Cooper, the same way. I he's uh, he's not as big as Boyd, so I'm not He's 5'11", 208, but Cooper's a, Cooper reminds me of Muhammad Sanu, a smaller Muhammad Sanu, if you're familiar with the Cincinnati Bengals. This guy only had—his uh, stats aren't going to look impressive. 66 for 973, but he had 1,100 yards the year before. He had a crappy quarterback. The quarterback sucked in South Carolina. The team sucked. But much like Boyd, they basically tried to force feed Cooper the ball because he was the best player, but he was getting triple teamed. So Cooper's a guy who, stat wise and film wise might not look that great, but I guarantee you he's getting double or triple teamed because he was like the best player on the whole team. Sterling Shepard, another guy from Oklahoma. Sometimes these Oklahoma guys get overlooked too because they they run some – they ran it – they actually ran it a little bit less this year and they actually threw it, in my opinion, they aired it out a little bit more in Oklahoma. So his stats ticked up. Aaron Burnbridge, another kind of guy, uh, a solid guy, another guy that was probably getting double teamed probably quite a bit. I like Burnbridge depending on where he goes. Rest of these guys, I'm gonna see if I can make a call. Geronima Allison at six three one ninety seven's a guy, a big play guy. I, I don't I mean, I don't see any of these guys turning into Jerry Rice, but I guess it's possible. There was one last guy down here I wanted to shout out. Caleb Jones. This is kind of like if Jay Cutler and I don't know, like an Enigma wide receiver had a baby. It'd be Caleb Jones. Every once in a while, this for some reason, the whole Arizona team, I don't know if they were like partying too much or what, but they all had down years. The quarterback, the running back, everybody on Arizona had a bad year. I don't, That, to me, is like tea, something went on with the team. They were partying too much or something like that. It's usually what it is in college. Like You're basically just partying too much. And trust me, if I was a football player in Arizona – I definitely would be partying too much. He had only 55 receptions this year for 904, but the year before he had 73 for 1,000. Caleb Jones is if he can, you know, maybe stop partying or whatever he was doing, whatever the whole team was doing this year. If he can get on a team that's good, I think Caleb Jones is a guy in round five through seven could produce for you. Um Nelson Spruce, last guy. Trust me, this will be the last guy, but there will be more guys we'll talk about in the future. Nelson Spruce is a guy to keep your eye on. He's projected as a free agent, but uh, may never hear from this guy again, but he won me a ton of money in Daily Fantasy. He's like a He was like a 10-catch guy. He had 106 catches. Uh, the year before last, he had 89 catches this last year, so very consistent. On Colorado, who's who did throw the ball quite a bit, but they're not necessarily known for their like high power, high throwing offense. So went through NFL prospects. Like I said, I'll have to wait. I've quit football a little bit. I haven't been on the Bengals website. Haven't been following the NFL day to day news, but I still know a lot about these prospects. I think what I'll do is I'll definitely follow the NFL draft. Like most of us, it's kind of fun to see where these guys go. But I just spent the last four months, you know, I just spent the last four months watching college football, so I kind of want to see where a lot of these guys land. And so we'll come back. I'll do likely a very specific, just a, a one-off show where it's kind of like a draft NFL draft recap where I give you my assessment now of these guys depending on where they go because in my opinion that has a lot to do with it I think it, it all depends on where some of these guys go especially some of these guys that went to Baylor that the Paxton Lynches of the world the Jared Goff's of the world that went to these kind of throw it 40 50 times a game schools how does that, How you know, how does that happen? You know, maybe if Goff goes to, you know, Cleveland, you, you know, that certainly changes my perspective on what's going to happen to his career. Whereas if Goff gets drafted to, I, I don't know, maybe he goes to New England or maybe he goes to uh, Seattle or goes to San Francisco. I think San Francisco could be a really intriguing place for Goff. Um, there's lots of places that that could totally change my opinion on a player. So we'll see. And I encourage you. I know this leaf stuff is out. And if you're if you're a, a Buckeye fan or or whatever, you know, go out and get your guys. The the a uh, last bit, last tidbit I'll give you is this is not. Um, you know, Leaf is never. In fact, I was an It was kind of in a. I wouldn't call it an argument. I was like in a in a discussion with one of the Leaf employees, and we, you know we were going back and forth with each other yesterday on Twitter. So, um, Leaf has never sent me anything for free. I've never asked them for anything for free. Um, I have talked to Brian Gray on the phone at least. Once, I think, and I think I've talked to him in person a few times. So I, I've I've talked to Leaf before. But the one thing I will say about their football products, the signatures tend to not be shortened as will you. I guarantee you look at the Leaf signatures. I, I know Brandon Cooks, just for example, I was buying his cards last year early before the football season. All his Panini stuff, he signs at BC. But if you look at his really early Leaf stuff, he actually he he has a really nice signature, full signature. And so what you're seeing on the Leaf stuff is these guys' first signatures, they're probably excited to sign these cards. They're excited to get a paycheck more than – almost all these guys are probably not swimming in cash. I mean their agent is taking care of them, but they're not swimming in cash. So to have a little money in their pocket, they're certainly – they're giving Leaf – and these cards, their utmost attention and their best signatures. You see, I've been seeing some really nice signatures on the leaf stuff, and I think you'll see maybe some of the early Panini stuff, maybe some of the early top stuff gets that full signature, but you'll notice as we get towards, I mean, I'll hand it to like Marcus Mariota and some of these guys in the NFL that still had really nice-looking full signatures all the way to the end, but I don't blame any athlete, I know some of us get on athletes for scribbling little check marks and whatever but hey guys to me that's the company's fault for jamming it all in his face all at once if he's giving you that half ass signature you need to need to communicate with the agent to say hey how can I get him to not give me that half ass signature can I only you know do I need to uh, only present 10 of them at a time how do you know how do I need to do this to get that full signature or what do I need to pay him to sit down and give that full signature. But I certainly don't blame the athlete for having 10 million other things to do and then all of a sudden having to sign 5 million stickers that Panini just sent you. So last my last bit of advice is if you're going to collect this pre-football stuff, it's probably a little overpriced now. I'd probably wait until the draft, wait until some of this, you know, more of this pre-draft stuff comes out. But... Don't shy. Away. I wouldn't necessarily shy away from the Leaf stuff only because I think as we move further along in time, those guys that really cut off their signature, those early signature cards are going to be, I think, are going to be. Maybe not necessarily their most valuable rookie or their most desirable rookie, I think. But there will be a connoisseur of collector that will value those cards because it's an early full signature that might not be replicated by that athlete ever again in his career. So I think there's some value there. That wraps it up for us today on the program. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Thanks for all the feedback. Thanks for the email, at gmail.com. Keep them coming. Hit me up on Sports Card Radio on Twitter and definitely hit me up on Facebook as well. Until then, thanks for tuning in. Hopefully, you guys are all doing well. Good luck with your collections. We are out of here.